Well, hello, hello to bitter clingers and deplorables everywhere. Welcome back. Another weekend with, well, with you and I, Rick Wagner here, KNZZ, KGLN, all over western Colorado and eastern Utah and all sorts of places. The Internet, uh, you know, who knows where. We're wall-to-wall nationwide. <laughs> You'll be listening to us on 1100 or 92.7 or 980 and 101.3 up in uh, another part of the state and a couple other things. So appreciate it. Once again, shout out to the ships at sea and, uh, let's, uh, let's get into things here this week. What shall we say? Uh, I was going through something preparing for the show today and I had an epiphany. So I was anxious to share it with you folks out there. Yes, indeed. I was looking at a story that I had posted on our website, which is, uh, you know, therickwagnershow.com or politicalviking.com. You can go look at all the stories that we throw up there and all these news feeds we have up, which are pretty good, by the way. For those of you, I've left this up for a long time, but I think it's still important. Uh, for those of you venturing to some of our uh, larger cities, there is a World War II era, and it's excellent, U.S. Marine Corps video on club and knife fighting that, of course, will become in very handy uh, if you're planning on visiting San Francisco, New York, Chicago, places like that. So uh, I have that up just for your own, you know, edification. As I was looking through stuff, I looked at something I put up earlier this week. I must have put it up Wednesday night, Thursday. Uh, it's a story, and, and I'll read you the headline here. From uh, This is from, once again, another website you can hop to. Mom dresses as a cat and says she identifies as one in protest over a trans school board member who wears his deceased wife's clothing in front of school kids. <laughs> As if that's not enough. Here's a pulled quote. Graham then complained that the only thing he does to identify as a female is to put lipstick on. He grew his hair out a little bit, and he wears his deceased wife's clothing to school, to sporting events, to school events, to fundraisers, school events in front of the children. Thankfully, for those of you that were wondering and who have a, a high tolerance for uh, being frightened, there is a picture of this character on there, and uh, it's not good. It's a lot like you might imagine. And the fact that uh, he wears his deceased wife's clothing, he's grown his hair out, sort of, it's kind of a the length of Prince Valiant, for those of you that may remember that. That's sort of, uh, you know, just below the chin line, kind of a bob, I think. And uh, he's, not, uh, he's not looking, just to my observation, like he might be quite right in the head, as we used to say. Now, this guy is on a school board, and uh, he was placed on there not because he won an election, but because someone went off the school board or they needed a substitute. And obviously, if you're trying to find someone to school board and you're already on a school board and you're looking for somebody, apparently in this area, uh, this is just this is just Jim Dandy. This is the candidate you've been looking for, right? This is in Arizona, by the way. What's happening in Arizona? I mean, they can't vote. But they do manage to get these unusual people influencing your children. So I was, I just, for some reason, that story kind of got under my skin. I mean, it's, it's oddly humorous because it's so bizarre. Doesn't make much sense. The woman who did it showed up just as slightly as a cat. She had little cat whiskers on, little ears. And uh, her point was being, look, just because I say I am something doesn't mean I am something, which used to be kind of but we all thought, you know, that just saying you were something doesn't make you. Now it does. Not only does it make you whatever you say you are, but by golly, other people better go along with her. There'll be heck to pay. That's right. 
Somebody's going to get, you know, chastised or canceled or called a name, you name it. Speaking of names. So I thought, what, what's, what's going on here? Many of you think the same thing. I mean, where are we at? What's causing this deviance? Cause that's what it is. And whenever you bring that up, people will say, Oh yeah, well, who's, who's to say what's normal and what's this? What's that? Well, Normal, to be fair, is something that you know when you see it and you know when you don't. It's not easy to define. But it probably you can start getting along some kind of definition to say uh, are things that move society forward in a positive direction. In a positive direction, of course, then's the next thing you got to come up with for a definition. It, things that tend to make people's lives in general, not just a few, not just one half of 1% or anything, but the vast majority of lives moves them to being easier to live, have more access to goods and services, that they have a job that they like, if possible, or at least make some enough money that they can exist and that they can pay their bills. You know, I mean, you could start defining this. It's going to get kind of long because you don't realize until somebody asks you, well, what's normal mean and what's a positive direction mean, because that can mean all sorts of things to different people that you realize how hard it is to define some of this stuff. But you do know it. And if you sit and think about it for a while, you'll be able to come up with something. So what what has happened that has put us so far off? Why are we so far off the beam, as it were? Why are we so far away from uh, what we would consider to be produ- a productive society? You know, one that actually is spends most of its time trying to make everyone's life better. Not just a few at the expense of the rest. How, how do we, how do we get back to that? And how did we get where we're at? Well, it was funny because I sat down here and was looking at stuff to kind of prepare for the show. And as you know, I have a lot of crazy stuff up. Uh, and one of them, of course, is my list of uh, quotations by, oh, Greek and Roman philosophers and just all lots of that kind of stuff. Not just that Greek and Roman, but I say that because I had our old friend Tacitus, who some of you know I like to quote, because Tacitus, uh, Annals of Imperial Rome, you know, a first century A.D. Uh, writer, historian, sort of an intellectual, you know. I, I Just off the top of my head, I can't remember if he's a senator or not, but uh, I'll have to check that out. I can't believe I don't know that. But there's a quote from him that we've talked about on the show before, and it seemed to just jump out at me when I looked at it. Here's the quote. Step by step, they were led to things which disposed them to vice, the lounge, the bath, the elegant banquet. All this in their ignorance they called civilization, when it was but a part of their servitude. And then it all led me to recall what we talked about before, things that everyone from the ancients on, at some form or another, uh, have worried about. It's more crystallized when you look at Greco-Roman culture because they really were one of the first civilizations to uh, both the Greeks and the Romans to some extent, the Romans more so, to fall into an area where a large percentage of the population, certainly not all by any stretch of the imagination or even even a significant minority, but more than in the past in terms of percentage, had leisure time. And a larger percentage of their population were fairly wealthy and had a lot of leisure time and a lot of income of one sort or another. And they became concerned about how this affected people's behavior. 
And this is just very important, and we'll probably talk a little bit more about it as we go through the show today, but remember the concept of topology of luxus, right? This idea that too much luxury, too much ease, too much casual living uh, disconnects people from what actually creates society, uh, disconnects them from how civilization works, uh, takes away their analysis of interaction between people and how that works properly to to move society forward in a direction that improves everybody instead of just lounging around like our friend Tastus writes about in vice, essentially. It starts off with comfort, and that's fine. But eventually, it devolves to vice in many cases. It takes a strong person to have so much available to them and not end up foregoing the labor and the effort it took to get that and instead just indulging themselves in it and then slipping away into stranger and stranger things because now the person who has this kind of leisure, this kinds of funds that doesn't have to work, doesn't is not consumed each day with survival or even in a larger sense, earning a living and having to do something, they become fascinated with other things. And they tend towards the survival instincts. That is, the things that are supposed to keep us alive that we no longer have to worry about when we have all of this free time and money. And those grow and become deviated. Okay, we're back. For those of you who listen to the podcast, you didn't get to hear that bumper, but I played an old Mac Davis song that uh, some people might be familiar with, many will not. It's sort of a funny song they wrote that's really pretty good. It's called uh, It's Hard to Be Humble. Uh, hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. <laughs> I thought that sentiment fit in perfectly to what we were talking about, which is this peculiar descent into luxury and excess and divorcement of labor and how that brings on crazy narcissism and a disconnect from how the world actually works, also a similar detachment from how a person got where they're at and what it takes to stay there. All of these things, I think, reflect on what we were talking about, which is these crazy stories, like the one I started off with, this school board member in Arizona, people are protesting against, who had obviously been on the edge of reason and slipped off the edge and fell whole long into chaos and now wears his, apparently wants to identify as a woman or something, grew his hair a little bit, uh, wears his deceased wife's clothing and likes to show up at school events and so forth and just be generally a, a little off-kilter, huh? I think off-kilter is, a, is probably a pretty kind way to put that. So we accept that, apparently. Some do. And I pointed out that this person was appointed to the school board, wasn't elected, was appointed. So the people already on the school board are like, oh, yeah, that's okay. Now, this person is apparently is an educator and a former principal. I don't know where to take that, but anyway. But beyond that, what's the larger issue here? How do we get this way? How does our society end up you know, accepting things that are so far off the valley that we have to proceed through towards human progress. 
not only how do we get there, but how do we get so okay with it? And I was, and as I said before, when I looked at some of the Tacitus quotes about the love of luxury and this, and how much it descends into vice and eventually servitude, because you become a servant to your own vice. What becomes a vice, or in some cases with some of these people, some sort of fetish or personality disorder, whatever you want to call it in modern parlance, uh, you manifest it at some point, and when it goes on long enough, it's no longer you doing it. You're a captive to it. By you, I don't mean you personally, but I mean the person doing it. You become captive to your own manifestation there because it's all arising out of this lack of parameters. And how do we get to this point where we don't have any parameters? I would say, and I think I intimated this, we get there because we don't have anything to do. <laughs> I don't mean we as in the, There are certain people that have found in our society these days a great deal of indolence. A person alive even a hundred years ago spent a lot more of their time trying to make sure that their everyday existence was made possible and maintainable. We seem to have gotten past that, and I'm not altogether certain that it doesn't come with a lot of problems. Every society throughout human history that we're aware of, when any kind of significant portion of the populace becomes indolent, and it doesn't mean that you have a cell phone and a video game and you get a check from the federal government every month for some sort of something, a reparation, uh, for COVID, for an income tax rebate, for things that you don't do, you know, you name it. What I'm talking about is that what you receive there allows more and more people to be disconnected from the business of survival. And they're no longer concerned about where the next meal comes from, where they're going to have any money in a few years. Some of them should be, but they that's become a secondary issue because every time that they've hit close to rock bottom, they're rescued. Sometimes it's their parents. Usually it's a government program or something forced on business by the government. So what they've learned is that if they really would prefer to do not a whole lot except enjoy themselves or be, as I keep saying, indolent, uh, they can. And if they can do that, then what do they occupy their time with? What is their motivation for the day? Well, I believe from looking at this stuff that a lot of it is explainable as the baser instincts. And when we say that, we, we use baser instincts as being sort of, oh, these are sort of unattractive instincts. I think what we mean is basic. There are certain instincts that we have that serve us well. We want to eat when we see food. Throughout most of our history, if we saw food, we better latch onto it because it might not be there later. There were no preservatives. There was not a whole lot of food to go around. If you saw it or you grew it, you need to make sure that you consumed it or you tried to save it until you were really hungry. Most of human existence, a lot of people were really hungry a lot of the time. We don't have that now. Despite what we hear about hunger in America, 
we are one of the fattest things that have ever been on this planet, and we have some of the heaviest poor people in the world, something that is absolutely beyond the understanding of any other society where they have poor people, who you can tell because they don't have a lot of money for food. This is not the case here. So that's a, a basic need, right? A basic instinct to have food. And so to meet that, we either hunt or gatherers, then we find out that it's a little more realistic and a little more regular way to do that if we farm. So we become people who cultivate, farm, and we work in order to feed ourselves. Then, of course, you want to protect yourself from the elements. So you work to clothe yourself. Then you work to build some sort of shelter. All of this has to be put together. It has to be maintained. And it has to be protected from those who would prefer just to take yours. And their idea of work is to come beat you up and take your stuff. So now you have to protect over that. There's a constant, very clear need for labor and vigilance. Now, what happens when you reach a stage in a society where that's not necessary anymore? Others take care of these things. Institutions, government, people's parents who are siphoning their retirement down to take care of their their kid, the basement, whatever the case may be. So what happens then when all of these needs that you have, the need to protect, the need to eat, to do all these things, are not necessary. Well, they deviate, don't they? And you begin to indulge them. I mean, you don't have to hunt and for food or farm or spend all your time outside dragging a plow or trying to find an animal to drag the plow while you guide it. You can just go to the refrigerator. You can, you know, get uh, food from someone else. You can go to the restaurant. There's just so many different ways, right? You don't have to worry about living outdoors. Someone's going to take care of you. Most of the homeless population could be inside if they wanted to be. They don't want to be. You don't have to worry about any of those things. So what happens? So all of the instincts that you have about those things are not operational. So you lose touch with them. But you still indulge them because you still have the need. So instead of eating to survive, you eat just to eat, right? You just consume. I mean, that's... That instinct is driving you. People get overweight. We have a need for procreation. We have those desires within that arena that are very strong because it's a strong need in any species to procreate. And because it's there, it's been made into a pleasurable activity to encourage people to do it. Well, when it's no longer necessary for you to replace people uh, on your farm to do some work and to have a family and to move forward as a generationally, then you just want to indulge a pleasurable side of something like that. Because you've, once again, you're not struggling every day to survive. So that becomes a fixation. It's based on an, an instinct that is very valuable, but not as useful on a day-to-day basis in our society. So when you're given the opportunity to not have to have any consequences to any of your behaviors, any of your eating behaviors, your sexual behaviors, your even your political behaviors. When all of it, you're just cocooned in safety, relative safety all the time, you lose touch with everything that you have had to pay attention to, or someone did in the past, just to get through the day. You're not working all the time. You're not providing for someone else. You're not even providing for yourself, really. So you get enough of those people in society. 
And those can either be people that are have become wards of society or have become super rich and have no real cares in the world. So you, you end up with a society that is incredibly self-indulgent, which tends to deviate from norms because those norms don't have to be maintained. They don't need those norms. Someone takes care of them. On the one end, government, parents, somebody takes care of them so they can sort of indulge whatever things that, that make them happy. And the other end of it is people who have, you know, had an idea about an app and they have so much money they don't care. Eventually, you end up getting stranger and stranger as you seek more and more fulfillment from what were good basic desires and now become deviated by your indolence. It's yeah, my idea. Anyway. Uh, thanks for hanging around there, folks, uh, as we came around the horn on this today. Here it is, the weekend again. In another week of uh, disasters, uh, malapropisms, and just plain lunacy in our nation's capitals, as well as our state capitals, and in many cases, right in our city councils and school boards. So it's a just a great time to be a citizen who's paying some attention. Uh, that is, it's a great time for everybody else, because if you're paying attention, you're taking care of business on behalf of the people that are not. And it's not easy work, is it? No, it's not. It's very distressing. And uh, this holiday season, I guess I have a twin message on that. And that is that, first, you can't slack up because they creep stuff through. Remember Obamacare when that, when that was passed, both the date and the time of day. Remember? Middle of the night and all kinds of stuff. So you can't trust them to rest just because you need to. The reason, of course, is that you work for a living. Most politicians do not, and especially now where they don't even have to show up. Remember, uh, especially the House, they get to vote remotely on their phones, you know, wherever they're at. Maybe they're with Mayor Pete, you know, or Transportation Secretary, who manages to transport himself all over the place except to the office. He's in Europe. He and his husband are in Europe just kicking back, transporting around, you know, pretty much on your dime. So let's hope he has a good time. I'd hate to waste our tax dollars you know, in such a way that Mayor Pete wasn't enjoying himself. This is a person that could not earn an honest living if somebody threatened him to deport him to Cuba if he didn't earn an honest living. He still wouldn't be able to do it. So, of course, he'd, he'd probably think Cuba was great, although uh, it would be a bad thing for someone like Mayor Pete. Uh, he's not very tall. Chopping sugarcane, which is probably the only thing he's qualified to do, uh, would not work out well for him. He's just, you know. He's not a strong-looking man. Uh, he's not a whole lot taller than the sugar cane, so it wouldn't go as well as he thinks. It's not the uh, socialist utopia that I'm sure Mayor Pete and his husband think it is. Uh, there's a, you know, the, that whole. I, I've seen both of them talk a little bit. His husband has only talked once or twice, but there's some commission he got put on too. But you know, the fact that they're just traveling around Europe now, we all have this idea with many of our government officials that it would be better. If they didn't come to work. Now, I don't mean not come to work like Congress, where they don't come to work but still vote on disastrous things. I just mean like maybe if they were in office, some of them, if they just like, I don't know, permanently went on vacation to Fiji or something, there would be many people that would probably contribute to a fund to send Maxine Waters, for instance, uh, the head of the banking committee right now in the House, because, as you know, she's so financially astute, uh, to uh, some remote desert island. And just say, stay there. We'll continue to pay you. We hate that. But on balance, it's a lot safer to have you there than it is anywhere in 
close contact with anything to do with uh, the nation. And, of course, she does seem to enjoy a good old uh, Bankman Freed, you know, the uh, crypto king. Man, it wasn't... I, I know, it's very conspiratorial, but I've never seen a situation where you had a suspect, who clearly was a suspect at the time since he's been arrested, who was willing to come into a quasi-judicial setting, which is sort of how Congress would be, under a subpoena, under oath, and answer questions. As a prosecutor, that's just fantastic. I mean, this guy is either going to say something that you can use, or he's going to make something up you can use, or he's going to have an explanation that doesn't make any sense with the facts, and you get to use that. I mean, there's not a downside to it. It's all upside to have this guy testify. So what happens? The day before he's supposed to come to Congress and testify, he gets arrested. Do you think he's still going to do much talking after that? No. He's in jail in Bahamas, and I think he's being transported back here at some point. But does that seem suspect to you? Is it just me? You know, am I getting conspiracy-minded? Is that how that works? Just because you're conspiracy-minded doesn't mean there aren't conspiracies, right? It's that old saying, you know, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean people aren't out to get you. <laughs> it's the same kind of thing. I cannot conceive of a reason that you would have him arrested prior to testimony under oath and on the record for he'd answer questions. Because now he's not going to say anything. He's going to disappear into the system. His lawyers, rightly so, are going to shut him up. Uh, he may come forward and make some statement in court if he cuts a plea deal, but it's going to be pretty, you know, pretty flimsy and just, you know, I'm sorry, I don't know what happened. It was, uh, I'm just a young man in short pants. I don't know. And it's something like that. So all of this stuff that they would like to get out of him or at least confront him with. So we make up some, he's made up some pretty weak excuses, uh, even in interviews and stuff in the past. So the fact that he is been essentially silenced, this is an interesting way. I mean, by arresting him, they've silenced him. And remember, he'd given a bunch of money. And there's a great picture of him and Maxine Waters. You know, I think that their arms around each other. I can't even remember. Uh, or the group shot did. But uh, there's plenty of problems there. I also listened to the statement from the U.S. attorney who decided to prosecute him who went out of his way in two or three different times to say that he gave money in a bipartisan fashion, Democrats and Republicans. Really, is that what bipartisan means? Thank you for explaining that. What it was is he was determined to make it sound like uh, the FTX founder, their Bankman Freed, had, had you know equally distributed his money, which, of course, is a transparent lie. He'd given some money to Republicans. They ought to give it back. They won't, but... But he gave the vast bulk of his money either directly to Democrats or to political action committees that contributed to Democrats or to Democrat causes. He also gave money, you know, to some of these wacky causes out there, not necessarily election-related, but, you know, climate change, stuff like that. All, obviously, and he's even pretty much said this in an effort to inoculate himself against criticism. And I suppose he would have hoped prosecution by being on the right side of things. Because if the justice system these days at the federal level teaches you nothing else, it is that if you are the right political persuasion, it's pretty hard to get in trouble. 
And if you're of the wrong political persuasion, it's pretty easy to get in trouble. We all know what that leads to. Chaos, uh, really the, the slow tipping forward down the hill of your uh, nation. That's what that leads to. Not in my wildest imagination would I have thought, well, I know that's not true. I think I always suspected it could happen, but I thought I was just being, you know, pessimistic. That we would see such powerful blows to the two stanchions, the things that hold up the Constitutional Republic, most important things that hold it up, the rule of law, which is the idea that for the most part, the legal system gets it right, not always, but for the most part. You know, the guilty are punished, the innocent go free, there's mistakes, obviously, but for the most part, that confidence is there. You need that. The other side is that the elections, for the most part, are fair that the people that get voted the most votes by people who are supposed to vote, real people who are not dead, <laughs> aren't voting six or seven times, but are counted correctly. We're all aware that there's been voter fraud in this country pretty much since the first people, you know, wrote the name on the back of a piece of paper and dropped it into a box. It's always happened. It's happened in probably every election since Og and Gog decided to uh, have people raise their hand about who would be leader of the tribe, right? And somebody wrestled somebody down to the ground and would let them raise their hand. It's probably been happening that long. But for the most part, we have some faith in those elections. We have had such terrifically hard blows landed to those two pillars of our Constitutional Republic that I'm stunned by it. I'm stunned not only by how heavy the blows are, but by the, uh, let's, let's use the word chutzpah, <laughs> by the gall of the people who are, are striking the blows. They don't care if you see them do it. They have really thin excuses. I mean, it, for instance, if you can stand in front of a group of people, and I know I've said this before, and many others do, I'm just like my idea, but if you can stand in front of a group of people and say that sending ballots out to everybody that's ever registered to vote in your state, having them disappear through the mail to who knows where, houses, apartments, flop houses, homeless shelters, where you name it, wherever the address is, and then have those received back through the mail with no systematic effort to identify whether or not that person is the voter to which it was sent to, and then have those come in and don't really compare signatures very often. I mean, and then there's all these push in these states to uh, allow if the date's wrong, if the signature's, you know, hard to read, if there's all of these. It used to be very technical that you couldn't submit a ballot, particularly one that was received without identification. That thing had to be correct. Right dates, received at the right time, legible signature, stuff like that. All those things have been overridden in many of these states by crazy legislatures or unelected bureaucrats or elected bureaucrats, secretaries of state. Remember the Secretary of State project Soros had like 10 years ago? Yeah, it seems to be bearing fruit, doesn't it? And if you can say that that is just as effective and just as safe as having people show up, present a government-issued ID that is only issued to citizens, I didn't want to 
think we have to add that now, uh, that identifies them as who they say they are and they are validly registered and they go and vote. If you can say that those two are equal in security, then either you are completely unhinged or your relationship with the truth is not even a passing one. So I think that it bothers people that we hear explanations like that. It scares you. It scares you because is that what they really think? Is that what we're doing? And then it also sends a message that's both infuriating and a little disturbing that we think so little of your intelligence that we're going to try and pass this off thinking you're going to believe it. And then there's a third option, which is we're going to say it and we don't care if you believe it, which I'm rapidly believing that's the predominant situation now. So I've just, I've not seen those kinds of blows landed and things that have always happened probably, maybe to a lesser extent than they are now or whatever, but were hidden. The idea that they would come out would somehow ruin someone's career if they found out they were receiving money from this shadowy group or if they were doing X, Y, and Z. All of these things that even 10 years ago would have been very difficult to survive as a politician are flaunted now and seem to have no effect on someone's electability. Well, if they're from the left. Partly because nobody finds out about it unless they're watching Fox News or visiting you know, conservative websites. They don't hear about it at all. And if they do, they hear about it in a way that either minimizes it or blames conservatives and Republicans for the fact that it happened at all or labels it some sort of wacky conspiracy thing or the the new tune, of course, about uh, the Twitter files that came out where it's just very clear that Twitter just decided on who they liked politically, whatever their positions were on things, philosophically or whatever. They just decided based on that if you're going to get to be on the platform and if you were allowed on the platform – how easy it was going to be for you to get followers and get your message out. They had ways of just keeping you off entirely, obviously, but they also had ways to make it so that you could put a message out and it just didn't go anywhere, you know, just kind of got blasted off into space towards uh, Saturn someplace, you know, and nobody really heard it. Uh, and it's clear that's what happened. I mean, there's internal documents from people to other people, and they don't, no one says they're not, they're not true, that they're not the bona fides. And yet, the mainstream media's approach to it is, oh, that's nothing, you know. Now, if you really believe that's nothing, I guess, does that mean that, that you knew it was happening all along, so it's not surprising? Because if that's what you're saying, say that, because I can get that. Where you can say, oh, no, we knew that all along. Matter of fact, we were part of it. It's not a surprise at all, not really news. Okay, I'd get that if you said that. I understand what your position is. You're not surprised by that because you were doing it. Uh, but instead, it's this weird narrative that, like, there's nothing to see here, nothing new. But they don't really talk about it in the news stories. So I make a point to read some of them. They don't really say what was said. They just say that it wasn't important. <laughs> and it takes a minute. It's a little bit like a story I read. Uh, and I hate to say that these catch my eye once in a while. The Harry and Meghan Chronicles. The uh, wild Jesus, unreliable, crazy stories that these guys are perpetrating on the public uh, to make you actually feel sorry for the royal family in Britain uh, and sorry for people in America because they're living here now. But somebody wrote in, and I thought it was a great thing, that he said, you know, if you look at these accusations that get thrown out, it takes you a minute to realize that the accusations don't even explain what they're accusing them of. Like, 
one of the things they brought up is, well, they're saying that Prince Charles lied. And then they just move on. And then it takes you a minute to realize, lied about what? You know? And then they say, well, stories were planted by the palace against Meghan. Oh, okay. Wait a second. What stories? You know, I mean, there's no specifics. There's just the the incendiary word, and then they move on to it. And it takes you a minute to realize that, wait a second, I don't know what they're talking about. Uh, it's like saying, you lied to me, and then move on to something else, and a minute later you go, wait a second, what, what, what did I supposedly, you know, what are you talking about? This is what we get when we see this coverage that goes on with the Twitter files, is there's nothing there, the on and on and on, and then at the end of the story you realize, but you haven't said what was in there so that we could evaluate whether or not it was something or not. We don't even really have many, they don't even have many examples. They cherry pick a couple of them, but it's pretty tough because there's not much that comes out from those email exchanges and these involvements of some of these people, including, of course, one of the former general counsel at the FBI that somehow ended up at Twitter. Because is that the same thing? Does that experience transfer back and forth, you think? Gee, I work in the, uh, crim- at the criminal division of the FBI as general counsel. And of course, that's exactly the same kind of work that Twitter's doing. Really? Anyway, so that character was in the midst of this, and Elon Musk let him go. Poor Elon Musk, of course, is suffering the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. It's very Shakespearean, actually. Uh, he can do no right. You know, in the past, he could do no wrong. Now that he's more of a libertarian about free speech and whatnot, he can do no right. And he banned, because this is big things, not to ban people unless there's something really going on, some journalists uh, from... Twitter, quote, journalists, and he did some things that are practically unforgivable. One, he objected to them doxing, of course, which is just a made-up word to say they're telling everybody where he and his family is in real time. You know, Elon's here, his family's there. What's the purpose of that, do you think? What's the purpose of tracking somebody? And I did see some video, apparently, someone associated with him, photograph of somebody who was following them in a car, uh, in, it looked like California or someplace. The weather was pretty nice. He's wearing a black balaclava, you know, uh, you know, uh, covers his, everything but his eyes. That, nothing wrong. Nothing surprising about that. That's just someone who's really careful about COVID. He took his goggles off for a minute, I guess. And so they confront this guy and they're walking around it. He's filming them on his phone while they're filming them on his phone. But having somebody follow you like that, just think of a minute. You're a, some sort of relatively high profile person. You don't even have to be Elon Musk. And, you look in your rearview mirror, and there's someone following you in a black balaclava and filming you. Uh, would that alarm you a little bit? Now, if you had children around, would that kind of bother you a little bit? You don't even have to have children around. So people who were doing that and announcing everything, you know, to tell all these people where he was at all the time, he said, you're suspended for seven days. You know, giving real-time location data on anybody is not going to be tolerated in this platform because it's pretty obvious what you're trying to do, you're trying to get people to, you know, harass them and stuff like that. Uh, and, of course, the journalists were outraged. And then the second thing that he did that was totally unacceptable was he said that anybody that tries to give real-time location or, quote, doxing people's addresses, where they're at at any given time, stuff like that about people on Twitter are going to get suspended. And he said journalists are no different than anyone else. Well, of course, the ears flew off the side of the head a lot of journalists when they heard that. Well, of course, they're different than everybody else. They're very special, and they're very angry that they don't get treated that way. So 
the poor guy is really. I, I I hope he knew what he was doing when he when he's been biting off these pieces because they are pretty tough and it's interesting to watch. And he is taking a beating. He has lost billions of dollars because of the stance he's taken on things. And they're punishing his other as other companies. Or there's just nothing. They you know the federal government's talked about investigating his you know applications to Twitter this and that you know. Hey. He has a more successful space program than NASA. They couldn't get that Artemis uh, rocket off the ground for, what, three weeks because it kept breaking down and leaking and this and that. They got it up. It came back. And they made a big deal. It was a successful. Okay. They put a satellite and they circled the moon. Let's see. When did we do that before? Oh, yeah. We did that the first time, I want to say 1967. And now we've managed to creak ourselves up there on the spindly legs of these the new NASA programs and do it again after, you know, a bunch of misfires. In the meantime, you know, Musk is firing rockets off all the time, putting Starlink satellites up into orbit, you know, uh, allowing the uh, – this is the other thing. He's a, a been allowing Ukraine to use the Starlink satellites so that they have Internet and telephone communications because, of course, the Russians have knocked all that stuff out. And he did it for free. Now, we're sending enormous amounts of money, billions and billions of dollars. We're, we're close to $100 billion. We've got to be close uh, in equipment and funds to the Ukraine. And, hey, there's no connection between people from the Ukraine oligarchs buying land in Switzerland and places like that with those that money. And the fact that there was a plane that crashed in Greece, too, I think two months ago, full of American arms, appears to be going to the Middle East. No connection. Don't you say it or you're a Russian stooge. And there's also no connection for some of the uh, governments in Africa complaining that uh, weapons from the Ukraine that were sent to the Ukraine are showing up in terrorist hands in their countries. No connection there. That's another stooge speaking. What is going on? I didn't mean to get quite on that rant, my friends. We're going to get out of here in just a couple of minutes. But what I would like to say is you can write me, because I was reading some of your emails before this, during the wait for this next segment, uh, at Rick Wagner. That's Rick Wagner, one long word, at mail.com. And you can look at a lot of our stories at our website, therickwagnershow.com or politicalviking.com. And you can follow us on Facebook. I keep forgetting that. We have a Facebook page, politicalviking.com. I like Vikings. I think they were great disruptors. They forced people to realign and get their act together. So that's why I did that. But you can follow us on Facebook at politicalviking.com. And we've got quite a number of people out there. But join up. You know, we got our shoulders to the wheel, my friends. And the rest of you, we'll talk to you before Christmas. Have a great week. See you soon.